0: It's the realistic Way
1: Podcast.
0: It's a way of life. Tastes
1: like freedom.
0: It's the most divine microcosm. Mind-blowing. 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 It's a revolution. Heart
1: wide open.
0: Liberated love. It's liberated love. Conscious conversations. Conscious conversations. The exhilarated exhilarated expansion, expansion of self. Sacred sexual sexual. sexuality. whatever like. you like. All I, All I know. I know. Because it, because feels it feels amazing. amazing. It's the most decadent it's way. It's the most decadent to way to live Intimate and intuitive conversations with epic humans who are disrupting the status quo and living a life with stereo untypical success. Hello and welcome to the hedonistic way at midday show. I'm Renee Main and today. We are going to, I think, explore waters that we haven't really discussed on the show before. And I feel really honored to really begin to open up this conversation because I think it's really, really important that we have this conversation. Today, I welcome in an amazing man doing such incredible work in this world. His name is Dave McDermott and he is the creator of the empowered man he is doing work with and when i say work you know i'm meaning coaching and mentoring he is a facilitator and he's doing wonderful things that are all around men and i want to say you know our masculine and what it is and what it takes to be an empowered man in today's society and what it is not as well. So if you're here, Dave, let me know, give me a little thumbs up or a high and I can see that you're watching so I can add you in to this show. Um, and while we're waiting for that, I will, oops, I will continue to talk about the incredible work that Dave is doing. He teaches men, he creates a space where he shares with men how to live an empowered life. But also what it actually means to live powerfully. As well. What does powerful living actually mean? And why is it important that men understand what women want? And the importance of that conversation. Why it's important that men are confident in our presence. And why it's important that not just men, but women are sexually confident. But as I said in the show notes, is the most incredible thing about this is, you know, when I was writing Dave's intro into the show and I said on my on my um on my show notes, just looking at the Facebook cover on his business page made me smile. And it really captures, you know, if a, if an image says a thousand words, then you know this one got me, you know, and but I got a deeper sense of the importance of this. And um, who a couple of weeks ago in the show we were talking about it as well. Is you know there's so much discussion around women and empowering women and. I feel like we need to start having this conversation around men as well, and why it's important that we do start to open up this conversation. Because the thing about it is, is that, you know, men are just as important that we men need to do this work as well they need to start asking these questions as well and the ripple effect that that has on their life is absolutely huge because we all know the stats right we all know the stats around suicide around depression around mental illness around heart disease around cancer around All of these things and the stress and the toll that that's taking on our lives. And so, all of this, this conversation that I'm going to have with Dave today, it really does start to open up the conversation to bigger, more important conversations because. You know, we've said on this show before, we're seeing these advertising campaigns around calling men out if they're being disrespectful towards women and saying stop to domestic violence. And the thing about it is, is that, yes, that's really important, but I wanna know what men can actually do beyond how we can, encourage our men and society to rethink what a healthy man actually looks like and what he does and how he acts and why they might be behaving in this way. Now, hello, Dave. Hi. Thank you. You made it in.
1: I sorted it out. Good,
0: good. It's always
1: interesting, these Facebook Lives joining It's it's always interesting joining these Facebook lives. Technology is ever a challenge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The last couple of weeks we've had major technology issues. So it is such an an amazing tool that we have that um, sometimes works with ease and sometimes not so much. But I'm glad that you made it on the show. Thank you so much for being here. I was just telling everybody about the incredible work that you do and the importance of the work that you're doing. My beautiful friend Lisa said to me a few weeks ago, you have to interview and connect with Dave. And um, she is someone that I absolutely love and respect and that's I reached out to you. And I'm so glad I did because I was saying earlier, and I said in the intro, as soon as I seen your cover photo on your business page, I just smiled. I was just like, "Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Me say, how did you get into, I wanna say just for lack of a better of a word, but how did you get into this niche? But let me just maybe reframe that is, I've said, I've already mentioned that you're doing incredible work with men. How did you get to the understanding that this work was so important?
1: Mm. Well, my story is one of pain and frustration in my sex life and in my relationships with women for a long time. You know, I was brought up with a lot of sexual repression uh, in, a, in a bit of a cult upbringing, you know, no sex before marriage and um, a lot of those sort of ideas. You know, long story short, I, I was a virgin until I was almost 28, and, you know, really um, mediocre sexual experience, not very connected. Um, You know, a lot of sexual frustration, a lot of loneliness, toxic or loveless relationships. So yeah, that was my story of having to go to the core of what was behind all that and go into my shame, um, my sexuality, how I was relating to women. And part of that journey involved uh, going into the pickup artist world a little bit. I didn't sort of get heavily into it, but enough and researched it enough that I felt this is... The majority of that world is not um, serving men or women. It's, yeah. it's a lot of manipulation and inauthenticity. So I, I moved on to work with mentors who kind of came from a very different place and really were very much about honoring a woman's safety and presenting really authentically, you know, not a shred of manipulation, just being really in integrity. And I knew that this was the work I wanted to do with men. I knew there were many guys who were struggling to relate to women confidently and with a really authentic approach. And yeah. that's, um, that was my motivation to go into working with men in this area.
0: Mm, absolutely. I love that. I'm curious to know, Dave, as you said, you had to go into the core reasons about... While why this was rolling out in your life, what were mm. some of those core issues, or the core? I don't really mean to say issues, but just for yeah. lack of a better.
1: Well, not understanding women very well was a big one, yeah. and and particularly uh, I had I had a lot of shame around the fact that I was a virgin until I was almost twenty eight. You know, sexually not as experienced as most men at the time. Um, and and not a lot of experience in relationships, you know, and felt like basically there was something wrong with me. And that feeling of, you know, this deep, deep, this voice deep down saying, oh, there's something wrong with me, is what I carried into my interactions with women. So they, you know, women would feel things so, so deeply. And when a man presents with shame, no matter how skilled he is in techniques of seduction, she will feel his shame. That will turn her off, so yeah that that was a big one um the idea the the belief that you know I was not as attractive as other men because of my story, that I didn't have as much to offer that uh, a woman would see me as a um less desirable you know i I really struggled with those feelings of unlovability, you know lack of desirability, feeling like i was you know the women I was interested in were out of my reach and would never be interested in me very very strong uh, negative feelings which tra- at an energy level uh, obviously affected my interactions with women and it was a really it was a real desert for a long time <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that's so it's just i feel like you're the voice of many men but a voice that's been silent for a really long time dave yeah and um I really just want to honour you in taking the, the courage to actually say this out loud as well, um, because it's it's an it's an area that is very much taboo, and even in friendship male friendship circles, mm. from what it's not discussed. This is not really discussed, no. or you just, like, take the piss and make fun of each other, right? So, exactly. Um, hmm.
1: Well, when, when I started reaching out for support in this area, I didn't tell my friends. Like, I, I think I said I was doing some social exercise work, um, some work on, my, on, my, on breaking down social boundaries. And yeah. I, because I was ashamed. I didn't want to feel like you know, I needed help to relate to women because it's like you're less of a man if you, if you need help in that area. But as I dived into doing that work, you know, I realised over time that if a man really dives into the work of relating to women more confidently, of understanding women more deeply, getting curious about what, what can be understood about women at a really deep level, um, yeah, that your, your romantic life becomes really abundant and yeah. you, you live a life that most men only dream about, you know, whether you're single and dating multiple women or uh, in a relationship being polyamorous or as a, as a yeah. man in relationship in a monogamous situation, having the sufficient trust and safety to have a very exciting sex life with your partner. You know, Whatever your relationship style actually being able to create that rather than just fantasising about it. Having a very adventurous and kinky life with your partner if that's what you want. Essentially what you want, actually living it rather than it being a fantasy. Yeah,
0: and most men right. don't
1: experience that.
0: Mm, mm, absolutely. And I think what I really loved about what you just said then, Dave, is when you really start to have this conversation and to go there... I love what it does is that it just creates this empty canvas where you can really explore and create what it is that, you know, how exactly. you want to live your life, how you want to relate, what your sex life and your intimacy, intimacy yes. life, what that looks like. And, um, and I think that's the real empowering bit, right? Yes, exactly. Mmm. I want to ask you. You've mentioned it a couple of times about what women want. Is there something that, when you were putting this body of work together and living this experience, what was there a discovery of what women want that probably shocked you a little bit?
1: Yes, there was a like. One, there, there have been a number of experiences, but one in particular that stands out straight away when you mention that is. I had a coach for a while who challenged me one day when I was in the middle of really feeling like I need to get good at approaching women. I had that idea for a long time that um, yeah. if only I could get good at approaching women, then my, all my yeah. problems would be sorted. And a lot of men are in that mindset. They think, you know, that's my problem. I'm, I'm afraid of approaching women. That's why I don't have the romantic life I want. So I was really in that mindset and he challenged me and said, go out and approach a bunch of women on a given day and uh, instead of, you know, trying to open up a conversation and, you know, hopefully get her phone number, instead uh, begin by saying something like, you know, hi and introducing myself. I have been working with a coach around challenges I've been facing around confidence with women. And it's something that uh, I believed as a kid, you know, I, I was told stories as a kid that have held me back from being confident with women and I just wanted to share that with you. How's your day going? <laughs> so just getting, getting it off my chest, like getting the shame, you know, yeah. this feeling of, you know, I'm a guy who is working on his confidence with women and has struggled in the past, but owning it, owning that, you know, this is my story. I'm not going to present a mask. And so I went out and did that. I went out and did that and I was very uncomfortable at the idea of doing it. I thought that I'd, It'd be a very awkward experience. I thought women would, you know, think I was weird for saying something like that. Yeah. Um, and what I actually found was, in the majority of cases, it was a really beautiful, positive experience. Women, you know, and I'm talking about approaching women on the street. You know, I'd never met me before, yeah. and I just went up and said hi. I, you know, which is always a gutsy thing to do for most guys. Yeah. and but I, and not only that I, I said something really vulnerable straight up, and uh,
0: yeah.
1: without the intention of getting a phone number or anything like that, it was just a practice of vulnerability mm. and the women responded just very positively, and I could see they were they found it so refreshing that a man would approach them with authenticity, you know being willing to share something that was clearly painful for him. And uh, but owning it like not not breaking down in tears, sharing it from a place of strength and then being open to a conversation so that yes. that day was very profound for me like I my um, I guess my mindset and deep core beliefs around women changed from being you've got to be this really confident stoic guy you know who is who is skilled at conversation to being, actually you just need to be yourself and share who you are and women respond to that much more positively. (laughs) That was a big insight.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's right is because I think that, um, something beautiful happens when you share something that is so honest, you know, Mm. and, um, And I think it is, as you said, it is extremely refreshing um, when you do allow yourself to be open up as well. Um, I want to talk, ask you about, I want to ask you about powerful living and what that means for you. Mm.
1: Well, this is part of my programs and workshops is a living powerfully component and what what I came to in my work with men is that uh, being successful with women is not so much about skills and performance and things like what to say and what to wear and what to do. That, that's all performance stuff. And it, it, it's not unimportant, but it's secondary. And what is far more important is who you are as a man and how you feel about that and your clarity around who you are and what you want. So it, with my work with the empowered men, we always start with helping men step into their power as men. And we don't actually bring the women. The women women come into our workshops and, and events uh, in the second half of whatever we do, and always the first half or even the majority is devoted to just working with men together. And what what does living powerfully mean? I think it means living with presence. Like being able to stand in front of anyone, a woman you're attracted to, you know, a friend, a stranger, a colleague, and hold eye contact and be really comfortable and gentle and easy about that to not feel like you've got something to hide. And it often comes out in the eye contact connection. And when people carry shame, generally eye contact is not so comfortable. So living with presence, you know, having a meditative side a contemplative side to your life where as a man you can tap into your own emptiness and access that place where you know you're perfect and you don't need anything and to drop into that Mm -hmm. every day ideally Mm -hmm. and the other bit which I feels really important to live powerfully is purpose so to have Mm -hmm. something in your life that really lights you up Uh, It may be your career, it may be, you know, something you do on the side, it may be your family, but to have something that you're clear, this is my purpose, this is what I do in the world, and I love it, and either to be clear about it and doing it, or to be exploring what that thing is, you know, because people are usually in one of either camp, rather than the guy that just goes home. Cracks open a beer, says that was just another shit day and eats Doritos and watches TV all night. (laughs) So being purposeful. We ran a workshop yesterday in Brisbane and there were a number of women on the panel and the women talked about just how important and how attractive it is to them when a man has purpose, how how much it affects Ah. their interest in him. She knows that she can't wrap him around her finger and she likes that.
0: Yeah, ex- and exactly, that's right. And that's, you know, I know, like, Aggie's watching, I know, and that's something that a conversation that we've had many times is it is as sexy as fuck when a man is authentically empowered mm. and he stands for his own worth and he knows what he wants. That is incredibly sexy. Mm. And it doesn't even need to be sexual in order for it to for us to find it really really attractive i want to ask you then why do men fall into that macho you know bullshit kind of i want to say I don't know, just that wall that I think is probably a defence or just the way they're being brought up or... Yeah. I kind of feel like it ties into one of your childhood stories that boys are often taught. So can you tell me what goes, what comes up for you for that?
1: Do you mean the sort of uh, the alpha male stereotype? So yeah. Sort of the, the, yeah. The bo- the boof head? Yeah. Kind of, you know, big yeah, muscles, so confident...
0: Well, Is that like, you know, men don't cry. I have to mm. act this way to be tough. Yes. Or I can't, I can't, you know. My partner came home and one of his old bosses a few years ago, he said, Oh, he's a military man. He said, You cannot mm. lead with your heart. You have to lead with your head. And yeah. I was like, What? <laughs> yeah. What is that? Yeah. The, that kind of mentality. The Stoic that, model. Um, yes. the
1: stoic model of masculinity that's yeah because it's because it's by far and away the most common model of masculinity that men are brought up with Mm. it's it's what I was brought up with I was a bit lucky in that I I had other models too like growing up in the cult that I mentioned one of the positive parts was I grew up with a bunch of young people we were actually very comfortable sharing from our hearts and that was one of the the positive parts of that experience so I've always had that uh that ease with friends and I like my, one of my challenges was i wasn't able to do that with women so readily, and it, I had to work through my shame to be able to bring that into my romantic life. but when I did it, it was incredibly positive and um, mm. and just created a much healthier romantic life but the the reason is because it's widespread it's it's the vastly it's by far the most popular and widespread model it's what mm. most men. Experience in their growth from the year dot. They're told man up. They're told uh, men don't cry. They're told Mm. you know you're um, you're weak if you express your feelings. They're told the the um, measure of you as a man is how many women you sleep with, how many notches are on your belt, how quickly you lose your virginity and get into it. Um, There's a movie called Liberated or a documentary called Liberated which my partner and I watched recently and it's really concerning. It, it uh, documents the pickup culture and focuses on spring break in the States. And, um, and it's just, I, kept, I remember those sort of experiences from my um, university days, even though I was a virgin at the time, I was still in that world, but it, it was just another level um, what was going on and guys just absolutely focused on going out in packs to hunt down and have sex with as many women as possible and everyone's super drunk while they're doing all of this. Um, but that like the model, the, the, the stoic model is just so strong and it continues on the sporting field coaches reinforcing these, um, ideas that a strong man is the one who never cries, who's physically strong, who's athletic, who outperforms all other men. They're the alpha male and all the other men worship them. You know, that it's, it's, Um, When you get those stories over and over again, day after day, year after year, when you're growing up as a man, that's a fair bit to work through. Um, But, of course, uh, many men rebel against that, you know, and they're more the the kids who wore the chains and the the crazy hairstyles at school and just went against the status quo. And, in a way, they're often the the most... um, well-developed when they when they come out they're most they're the most relaxed about themselves because they're not living under so much of a story at least not that stoic model story
0: yeah yeah absolutely Mm. i did i had a question that i wanted to ask you and but first of all you know before we were talking about you know the alpha male and um you know and how um And how our boys and men are being raised a couple of months ago I went home and I caught up with an old friend that I went to high school with and um, we were great friends in in high school but he was very much the the boy that or young man that we were talking about just then and and he's got two girls now. Mm. And um, and he was saying that, yeah, we're back again, Michelle. <laughs> Thank you for tuning back in. And he was saying that now as a father, he's going, okay, I'm trying to parent and guide my girls. And I'm trying to think about the stupid, ridiculous shit that I said and I did and how I can possibly guide my girls through that. From the perspective of knowing the young man that I was, you know? Yeah. Um, So that was a really interesting perspective from him as well, you Mm. know? Um, But I did wanna ask you about, you were talking about how having this honest conversation about shame and understanding what women want and having to create, and you mentioned, you know, ha- creating a safe space for women. Yeah. And, you know, traditionally going against that alpha male that we were just discussing, what did you find, Oh, how did it make you feel? And we're, you know, talking about as well, of course, you know, men don't cry, boys shouldn't cry, men mm. do this, they don't do this and everything else. So when you did rewire yourself and start to allow yourself to broaden this perspective and to feel this mm. and to create this new way of life, what happened within you and how did that make you feel once you did this and opened up to mm. this space?
1: Well, there, there were a few sort of different, I guess, transformational points, but there was definitely one really big one which for me was um, for the first time ever actually opening up my feelings that I had around my story of sexual repression, which I'd really swept under mm. the rug until that time. So mm. I went on a coaching course in the US at, at one point where for the first time ever I did some shadow work, some gestalt type um, you know, psychotherapy processes, which I'd never done before. And know, since then have done plenty in, all, in many forms, but at the time, this was my first experience and, you know, it's very cathartic work, you're sort of screaming, yelling, bashing, bringing up stuff that is unresolved from the past. And for me, a lot of anger came up, a lot of fear, a lot of shame, a lot of sadness about uh, living with so much pain and frustration, living so sexually frustrated for such a long time having this experience of the women that I was interested in were out of my reach. You know, a lot of pain day after day, um, week after week, month after month, year after year. And it wears you down. And I, I never considered, yeah, yeah, I, I never considered suicide, but I know men do. I know that men do get to that point around their struggles with sexuality and women. And, you know, I experienced some pretty negative feelings, some pretty, uh strong periods of loneliness and feeling like you know I was really very low self esteem you know really um, isolated you know unloved you know very strong negative feelings and um, that that was what was underneath them all and, and i i just didn 't know how to manage them you know I, I I did try you know clinical psychs i tried a bunch of therapies, but it wasn 't until I really went into my story of sexual repression and acknowledged and realized, Wow, this stuff is very much uh, bottled up within me, and I need to let it out i need I need to start talking about it and own it and talk about it with women specifically so that that was the big one is i I, I needed to talk about it with others, but particularly with women and particularly with women that I was interested in and i I from that point I did that and I just knew when I had that insight like I went home and I cried my guts out in my Airbnb room in LA where the course was and at the end of that at the end when the tears were done uh, I just had an incredible clarity that I was going to coach men in this space but I still had a bunch of growth to do myself you know and that that continued but that I was going to turn my coaching expertise to working with men in this space and uh, from that point on, when I met a new woman, um, as well as with friends who I'd previously kept that part of my life bottled up, I, I just shared that this is my story. I was a virgin until I was almost 28. I was sexually repressed. At the time, I was in a sexually exploratory place. Now, I was very upfront with women about that. I wasn't looking for an exclusive situation. So I was just very, very clear about who I was and what I was looking for and I just felt so relaxed, like more deeply relaxed for the first time in my life than I'd ever been before. It was like I've meditated my whole life but and that brought a stillness and a relaxation, but I still had this issue. And when I started just owning that part of my story and being vulnerable about that, I was relaxed in a way that I hadn't been before. And it complemented the meditation practice. You know, I was just like, ah, there's this burden in my heart that I've just been holding. And um, once that, once that was was released, the floodgates opened. And I don't mean as in, you know, I had a lot more sex, but the floodgate, the floodgates of healthy connections with women opened. You know, I, I had lots of sex before that. You know, it was sex workers, and then it was casual sex, and it was Tinder, and um, but it was relatively mediocre or loveless or toxic relationships. But but this was yeah. the floodgates of healthy connections with women opened and it was just like light years apart from what I was experiencing before, just knowing I had nothing to hide and and I didn't need anything from women. Like that's a beautiful feeling to come to when a man has that yes. feeling of he's okay just as he is and that's what I came to
0: absolutely and I love what you just said then is like you can come together without needing anything from them yes. and I honestly believe that that is the difference between mediocre sex and great sex mm. you know right is that because you're not needing them for some you're not coming from them from a place of emptiness but from a place where you're already full exactly you know? and that's when the extraordinary work happens absolutely i want to ask you about you've mentioned sexually being sexually repressed a Mm. lot and i love what you said and this is why i'm so this is the hedonistic way at the core and so i absolutely resonate with you when you say that all the meditation in the world will not do squat Mm. unless you move this shit through your body
1: Exactly. And then
0: that is when the powerful work happens. Yes. Meditation is really important, but you need to hear this shit. You need to say it out loud and you need to use your voice yeah. and actually feel it transfigure it into something else. Mm. Um, and for me, that is pure hedonism. Yeah. Is honoring that in all of its facets,
1: mm.
0: not just the good parts. Um, I want to ask you what does, because I believe that being sexually repressed is more common than not. Yes. And again, it's something that we don't talk about between both men and women. What is, or I want to say, what does a sexually repressed person look like or how do they feel?
1: (laughs) It's a great question. Um, I mean... You know, there there are men who started the sexual journey, many men, very young, like some started at the age of 12, 13. You know, others start in their mid-teens, others in their late teens or, or early 20s. For me, it was late 20s. So that, on average, you know, my story is definitely at the extreme end of the spectrum. Um, and the men who started their journey early, you know, some might have negative experiences or some might have positive experiences Um, Some might have loads and loads and loads of sex and, you know, feel like, you know, they're they're able to get sex easily and there's no concerns there and they've had a lot of sex and they've lived out fantasies and, you know, I find those men, uh, in terms of my work, generally um, are are much more comfortable, like they're not what I would describe as sexually repressed men. Um, there may still be shame there around sexuality, depending on their experiences, but they don't have that feeling of, you know, I str- I struggle to get sex or I, I struggle to have the sex life I want because their story was one of they, they experienced it. Um, and there's much more of a relaxation around their sex life and much less neediness, if anything, around their relationships with women. But uh, many men, for many men, they did struggle with women they like i would say i would say more the more the majority of men are in this camp that you know they may have been in a pack with an alpha male who led it but they kind of worship the alpha male who was getting all the women while they kind of got the scraps that's the mindset that's the sort of experience and um just by being associated with him raises their status as a man it's ridiculous but that's that's the story and uh, a lot of those guys I, th- this came out in that documentary liberated as well sort of all these guys you know that sort of underneath this alpha male um, and a lot of those guys are sexually frustrated you know they they're not living the, the life that they want sexually um, they have fantasies and desires that they that, that stay in their head and stay in their in their pornography use rather than actually living it out um, and I guess like it raises for me, how do you define sexual repression? I mean, one way of looking at that is uh, what you want sexually remains a fantasy rather than in your experience. Um, that's one way of looking at that. And I think many men are in that camp. Um, so, you know, the, the more extreme versions, are my story and, and many men have this, is that you didn't engage sexually for whatever reason, out of fear of, you know, that it was wrong, or you had to be married before you had sex, you know, religious ideas, um, or you, or perhaps you have sexual abuse. Like men, men had some men have sexual or other abuse in their history, and sex is a very painful area. And it brings up those feelings, and they, and the, and they either you know stay right away from sex or uh, act out really. Uh, wild and destructive sexual patterns. So yes. sexual repression, I think, is very widespread. And many men mm-hmm. uh, uh, struggle with living the sex life they want and therefore are repressed.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why is, it, why is it that we don't talk freely about about what about our sexual desires why is that still and even in relationships why is it rep, why is it so repressed i don't understand why we struggle so much to have this conversation when it's such a natural <sighs> desire for all of us
1: yeah because it's inappropriate <laughs> society <laughs> society doesn't allow us to it's, it's not it's not considered okay now our, our whole organizational systems are set up for sexuality to be kept in the bedroom you know in privacy even even friends of mine you know who I consider relatively um, relaxed in about themselves and, and comfortable when sex the topic of sex is raised you know there's a there's a level they'll go to but to get really oh, yeah. to get really explicit generally makes people uncomfortable, and it often only happens when people get drunk. It's interesting when yeah. when people get drunk, that's when they get really graphic about the sexual talk because they're not comfortable to do it until their guards drop. Um, yeah. But then contrast that with you know after our workshop yesterday, I went and had a beer with a couple of the women who were on the panel and and one of the other men in the workshop, and we talked about. You know, we had a very explicit conversation about sex. We talked about anal sex, um, you know living out fantasies, and you know, a whole range of things and and everyone was thoroughly enjoying it. It was a really healthy, robust discussion and, and coming from a, a place of curiosity, not perversion or mm-hmm. um, or anything like that yes. yeah and, yeah.
0: and that 's the thing as well is that 's knowing the difference between when it is perversion and when it's not, you know, and, um, but having this beautiful liberated conversation is wonderful. It's one that I love having yeah. with my clients with my friends, with every, I think it's a conversation that we need to start mm-hmm. opening up to. I want to ask you about sexual performance mm-hmm. and with that, you know, we're talking, you know, with the alpha male, and the, you know, it's very much about ejaculation and the orgasm, yeah. and it's very, as I would put it, is like, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> that's it,
1: yeah.
0: What and for me, and that's again, that's like, you know, so that might be good sex, that might be whatever, but it's not great sex. No. So I want to ask you about what can people do to begin that transition between understanding what sexual intercourse is Mm. and what it is not and how to intensify that, not just the orgasm, but the entire Mm. experience?
1: Yeah. Well, this is a very complex and big topic. So, I mean, there is so much that can be said. This is the whole world of sexual mastery. This is the whole world of the erotic mind. And it's very complex. We are very complex as sexual beings, both women and men. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have our feminine essence, our masculine essence, and people are either at one end of the extreme or somewhere in between. And I think our sexual nature uh, depends on what your essence is. But, in terms of like a p- part of what I hear in your question is what, what's great sex? What does that look like? And, yeah. um, and what does is, what, what is good intercourse look like? So, yes, I mean, my experience for a long time was uh, I would get in there, I would ejaculate, and I would wait for half an hour and then keep going until I would ejaculate again. <laughs> and, and in that way, you know, you can make love for a couple of hours, you know, and you, if you would um, continue after a first ejaculation. Um, but it's, yeah. it's generally, you know, particularly after you've ejaculated once, like my experience and many men report this is you just kind of a bank, you're banging away for the sake of it. And then, mm. you know, at the end, there might be a sudden rush of pleasure that you get for a little bit, but th- to get to that yes. second ejaculation, it takes a lot of banging away generally without much yes. sensation. And it's you know generally not, yes. not very fun for the woman unless you're being you know, yeah. very careful and caring about her pleasure as well, yeah. which in many cases is not yeah. going on. So... Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, no, it's yeah. getting pounded.
1: <laughs> That's right. So when, when I started exploring, you know, sexual mastery practices and got into the world of tantra and read The Way of the Superior Man by David Dada and then really dived heavily into that, the world of sex and um Mm -hmm. and liberating myself from sexual shame, that's when I started Mm -hmm. uh, opening up to uh, withholding ejaculation, lasting longer, you know, having peaks and peaks and being able to make love for hours and then choose if I wanted to ejaculate or not at the end Mm -hmm. Um, and just having exploring my relationship to ejaculation. And Mm -hmm. as I did that, I found I opened up to a more connected experience of sex, and I was more interested in, you know, eye-gazing during sex and, um, and, you know, doing, uh, particularly in relationship, having a very um, strong emotional life that's part of the relationship where you, you're constantly checking in, you know, stuff comes up, you're, you address it rather than bottle it away. So that there's, there's a strong safety and trust in the relationship, which leads to a deeper sex you know, and when your heart's open as a man, you have a much more pleasurable sexual experience. Literally, the physical pleasure in your body radiates out of your heart more than um, it otherwise would, and you, and you can last longer. Um, and if you do ejaculate, it's actually far more pleasurable, like it explodes around your body, um, or, you, yes. or whether, whether or not you have a non ejaculatory orgasm or an ejaculatory. So, and, and a man can command that within himself with training, he can learn breath techniques, but the heart opening element is, is huge. And whether or not it's a casual experience or in a, in a relationship, fundamentally, the question is, does the man have his heart open? and and if he's if he's an open-hearted man he's probably going to enjoy an amazing sexual experience and she's probably going to have a great experience with him too and it might be wild and vigorous it might be very slow and uh and sensual both most people enjoy both in different measures it might be super kinky it might or it might involve long periods of eye gazing and um and gentle communication around safety and trust or some, something in between. So, yeah, it's a huge world. I mean, for, for people listening, if this is an area that you're, you're sort of either just at the beginning of or want to go more deeply into, I, I highly recommend reading The Erotic Mind by Jack Moran. It's um, a fascinating book that just by a, one of the founding sex therapists who really just takes it to another level like beyond conventional sex therapy just go and helps you to understand how complex we are as sexual beings and the challenge is also of maintaining passion in a long-term relationship which i think is one of the great challenges of our day but it can be done
0: uh absolutely you know it's something that i've been with my partner for 19 and a half years mm. and um i know that, and I've said it from the very beginning, is that when we are in, we have a healthy, vibrant, you know, curious, explorational sex life. Yes. Everything else is okay, you know, because, like, Mm. I'm a better parent. I am a better friend. I am a better everything, Mm. you know, when, um because... I do believe that there is a direct correlation between how we show up in the bedroom and how we show up in life. Mm.
1: It's exactly the same. Absolutely.
0: Exploring one area, you automatically start to explore the other area. Mm. I think they both go hand in hand. Totally. Um, I want to, do you? I mean, probably when you, okay, what's my question? (laughs) I want to ask you (laughs) what, and if you guys have any questions for Dave, please type them in. I want to ask you, did you understand or fully appreciate the impact and depth and long, (laughs) pardon the pun, Mm. long-lasting ripple effect of, the work
1: that you're doing? I had a strong feeling. That's what I felt in the Airbnb room, you know, when I'd finished crying my guts out. I just knew that there were many men who needed this work and there were many men who were struggling and, and often didn't understand at all just um, the power of vulnerability, the power of going into their sexuality, the power, the power of challenging the models of masculinity that they were brought up with. So I, I had a strong instinct for that. I, of course, didn't know how it would play out, you know, and that journey continues. And, you know, uh, as it turns out, there are a lot of men who who need this. And one of the great challenges is how to reach them. Because, you know, as I said, when I reached out for support in this area, I didn't tell my friends because I was ashamed. And it's it's one of my constant challenges is how to reach out to guys in a way that they'll engage and you know, get over their resistance to doing so. Because once they do, their lives change and their romantic life it's becomes much healthier. Um, you know, and part of what I'm doing at the moment is getting a whole bunch of testimonials together to um, to demonstrate that, and that's always powerful.
0: You know, something that I've come across in this, having these discussions and doing this work, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it, is like a lot of people like I've, I've said something about you know like live life like it's one long orgasm you know um mm. and you know or even talking to friends about having multiple orgasms and a lot of people say oh it's too hard it's exhausting just reading that or say mm. hearing that or thinking about it yep. Why do people think it's
1: such hard work well i I'll, I can only speak from a man 's perspective. I mean my experience has been that it can be challenging like that you know there are ex sexual mastery practices that require on ongoing persistence and my partner and I interviewed a multi orgasmic man some time ago, and he said it's it's been a, um, a commitment for him to become multi orgasmic you know work through the ex the various exercises, yeah. tantric, Taoist, to get to that point. And he gave the example of a tennis player. He said, you know, if you're if you're an accomplished tennis player, you weren't born that way. You know, you had to do oh, the time making the mistakes.
0: Cutting up there.
1: Oh, is it? Is that is it coming better? Let me know let me know when it sounds clearer.
0: Yeah. Oh, hang on, now you're back.
1: Okay, not sure why that was. Yeah, is that good?
0: Yes, I, there's a bit of a lag in the audio, I think, but I think you're back. Okay. So, um, yeah.
1: All right. Well, yeah. His his point was that a tennis player, like who becomes professional, you know, who reaches the peak of his game, it's a journey of trial and error. He makes lots of mistakes. He He has to um, refine and work through various strokes over and over and over and over and over and and probably will experience frustration. Uh, Like uh, most guys on this journey um, of becoming multi-orgasmic experience quite a bit of frustration. And I I agree with David Dada who says uh, for most men, their heart and their genitals are disconnected. For most women, most women, their heart and their genitals are naturally connected, so they're much more easily multi orgasmic for most men, it takes years of work to reconnect the heart and the genitals and that's that is partly probably what's behind that comment and so there there is an element to it in my view of um, of consistent persistent work and I can understand people going "Oh it's all too hard sometimes i've many times I've felt that way but but as you start, like anything, as you start to see results, that motivates you to continue. And it is possible. I've, I've talked to many men where you get to the point where your sexual energy naturally, much more naturally circulates through your body without needing to be so clinical about it. And it's almost just a subtle energetic breath and even just visualisation or energetic thing than having to you know, squeeze your PC muscle hard all the time. But, but generally for men, there's a phase of committed uh hard work that involves some frustration
0: yeah it does and I I absolutely agree absolutely agree it does even just in my own experience you Mm. know with my clients as well it does take a degree of work and but when as you say when you start to feel and especially in the context of what we're talking about like it's incredible when it starts to take form and yeah. take shape and and it's amazing the curiosity that it sparks up because mm. you just go well if i can do that well like what else can i do exactly and that is that is exciting yeah um mm, i think i had a question there but it's escaped me um has it a ski? I think it has escaped me. I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody, and that is what is turning you on at the moment?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm really curious about um, what do men really need and want? Like I'm really in a phase of, of talking to a lot of men, both past clients and current clients, just to explore um, the question of how how do I engage men? How do I address that challenge that I faced where I was too ashamed to, like, I, I did reach out for support, but I was really desperate. Um, how yeah. how can I present my work in a way that men feel really comfortable to engage and realise mm-hmm. that this is an empowering thing to do? It's not for desperados. Yes. This is like doing doing this yes. work will actually help you to be the man that other men are coming to for advice, you know, whether whether you're single or in relationship, um, that you'll have a really quality romantic life, either dating life or, or a quality, high quality of relationship. So what what's turning me on is just really continuing to reflect, talk to people, experiment, and work towards um, really cracking this one because it's, it's huge. And I feel that um, there... There is a way for uh, for large numbers of men to engage with this work because there are large numbers of men who need it, and Absolutely. It, yeah, it is turning me on exploring that that mm. journey. Mm.
0: Absolutely, I think that the majority of people, and either in relationships or not, we're so used to, you know, having mediocre sex where there is foreplay, there's intercourse, and then there's the orgasm or not. Yes. Um, You know, and or some sort of, you know, ejaculation, but mediocre orgasm. And um, I think very few people, I don't understand, I don't think that, and correct me if I'm wrong for anybody who's watching, but I think that people don't see the correlation between the stress in their lives and what that is doing to their sex drive. Yes. How they show up, you know, in in the bedroom or wherever it is. Why do you think that society is so anti-sex? Do you think it's because they understand how powerful it is? What is
1: it? Yeah, I think that's definitely a big one. Is like if you if you, if you don't control sex in a society, you know, a lot of structures disintegrate because people become too powerful, <laughs> too independent. Like so much of our society is built on people following instructions. And when people step into their sexual power, they become uncontrollable in a good way. But I think that is a lot of why there are so many, so much, there's so much taboo and restriction around sex, is because that's the way our society's been built. And what would be very interesting is a society that's built around sexual freedom. Where, you know, and of course, there are many experiments going on around the world with that, but it's not the Mm -hmm. mainstream yet. No, yet,
0: yet. I am crossing, uncrossing everything that. that um, that does become mainstream. I want to ask you just a small question, Dave. Mm.
1: I, I just have probably a few minutes left, Renee, just so that you know.
0: Cool. Let me have this one question and then we'll wrap up, Dave. Sure. Is, I want to ask you, why do men... And I want to—I'll say men, but mm-hmm. I'm just giving respect that it does happen. Vice versa as well. Why do men abuse, whether it be sexually, um, physically, psychological, whatever? But why do men abuse women?
1: Oh, that's a big question. Well, I think probably lots of reasons. Um, yeah. So. It depends on the level. I mean, there's one kind of abuse which is, uh, you know, not illegal but um, pushing through her boundaries and often, you know, sexually a woman will say yes when she actually means no. And oh. and men, you know, men learn to be pushy and men learn just to not give up and eventually she, she gives in and gives him sex. You know, a lot of men have been taught that. And... Um, and it's often the case, but it, what it leads to is resentment and sexual trauma and discomfort during sex because she's not super aroused, because how can you be aroused if you're doing something you don't really want to do? Um, so I think men abuse women in that way, and I think that's probably the most widespread form of sexual abuse because they, would, they believe that that's what it took, that's what it takes to get women into bed, yeah. that you've just got to keep pushing you just got to dominate and um, it's really unhealthy. So that, yeah, that's, that would be my main response. I mean, the more extreme forms mm-hmm. is not my expertise, um, yeah. but that, that I think is you know, a huge, a huge issue is what I just described.
0: I agree. And I love that you said that because you know what I've done, I've spoken to a lot of people over a decade now about abuse and I've never heard anybody address that. And that is so true. And the scary thing is, is that it is legal It's yeah. not illegal to do that. Yeah. And um, and happens so, it's just, that's just rife yeah. throughout so many relationships. So I really want to honor you in that moment just to recognize the depth of what you just said. And mm. I honestly believe that i said it in my intro notes in my show notes is that the power of this work is huge and the movement that this is will take is that this is the importance of this work because when men do this work and they experience this way of living they do not abuse women Mm -hmm. they do not they get less disease they get less there's less mental illness there's less suicide there's less depression and then we, and then they raise their boys in the exact same way, and their boys will become men who will raise their boys to, to become men. And the ripple effect of your work, Dave, is absolutely huge and so friggin' important. So please, do not give up and keep <laughs> on going. And I will put a call out to all men watching this: is to please connect with this man and. Ask him, he put the call out, is what questions or where are you at or what's showing up within your own world and if your own sexual desire, intercourse, life, relationship, interpersonal, whatever, is what's showing up for you so he can help connect with you and have more amazing conversations. So I just want to say thank you so much. Great James pleasure for coming on the show. I have loved this conversation, absolutely loved it. And um, I will connect and put your details in the show notes as well and encourage everybody to reach out because the work that you're doing is absolutely amazing. So I just want to say thank you for being on the show, but more importantly, thank you for doing this incredible work that you're doing.
1: It's been a great pleasure. And thank you so much, Renee, for having me on the show. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Mm, me too. Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody listening and who those who come back for Take 2 because, wow, that Take 2 was such a beautiful conversation. So thank you so much, Dave, again. And thank you, everybody watching. Thank you so much for tuning in to this epic conversation. I'm Renee Main, and I'm over and out for now. However, we can continue this conversation on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash hedonistic or jump onto the website, reneemain.com.au, and you can explore what your own hedonistic way might look like.